As I said last week, the primary purpose of Peter's letter is uh, said in chapter 5, verse 12. He says this, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So Peter, as this shepherd over this uh, new congregation, series of congregations in what's now modern day Turkey, he's writing back to them, trying to shore up their faith to try to help them. And he's first reminding them of these truths and he's writing and he's exhorting and declaring these truths, which are about the grace of God to ultimately so that they would stand firm in it. And so there was a, a wave of cultural um, problems that the, the church was facing. There was a wave of political problems that the church was facing. And he understood that these were shaky times and his people at some point might be uh, shaky themselves. And so he comes alongside and he's like a great shepherd who who stands there and says, let let me see if my standing firm can help you stand firm as well. And as I stated last week, the picture that I had in mind as I read these few verses was uh, like, like a great tree. How does a tree in Wilmington, especially, uh, how is it able to stand firm? I mean, you have hurricane force winds that come through Wilmington and here comes a hurricane in your own life. The hurricane of relationships, the hurricane of culture, the hurricane of politics, whatever it may be. And how is it when those hurricane forces that come against you, how can you stand firm? And I think Peter answers that by by this picture that I have of the tree. It has a, a deep tap root. You know what that is. That's the, the main root that goes directly into the ground. It's a vertical root. And Peter talks about that as being prayer, this communication that you have with God. That's the thing that, that drives you into the ground so that when these hurricane force winds come, you've got this deep tap root. You're really communicating with God. And what he has to say and the truth that he gives is much more important than what's happening in the world. The second piece of that, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, is what's called a, in, in, uh, for trees called the fibrous root system. It's the, the lateral roots that run outward instead of downward. And those are the roots that are also holding the tree steady so that when hurricane force winds come, you don't just have a vertical relationship with God. You also have these lateral relationships with people in the congregation. So you're connected to people. So as you start uh, getting sort of a, a rubber legged feeling about your circumstances, as, you, as these dark trials come that we talked about and you feel like you're going to fall over, not only just a communication with God, but God's designed it that you would have these lateral or horizontal relationships that would lock arms with you and keep you standing firm. And so it's very easy to see. Peter's, you know, outline here, verse eight. These are the these are the three things that we're going to talk about that he addresses. First of all, love. Above all, love one another. One way to express that love. The second point is verse nine, hospitality. And then the third way that we have this strengthening of relationships is verse 10 and 11, 
We use gifts. We have gifts. And the gifts have a, a particular purpose. And it says it there in the text. It's to strengthen one another. So we're, we're going to talk about loving and loving one another, hospitality, and then the gifts which serve one another. Now, we know the significance of these lateral relationships aren't just found here in 1 Peter chapter 4. They're found all over the Bible. I just want to mention a couple. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is a, a passage that is often read at a wedding ceremony. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. The one may be, be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I said that in a wedding, you have these two people now, they're becoming one. And, and when one starts to waver, it's a lot easier to stand firm because there's somebody standing beside you. And, and not only there in the wedding ceremony are these two people, it's this cord three, the the, actually, the work and the Holy Spirit are, of God are wrapping around this couple. So this is the picture that uh, the wise man of Ecclesiastes talks about. John chapter 13, Jesus is on his way to the cross. And before they have the Last Supper, and he's giving some instructions. A new command I give you. Love one another. How do we love one another? Well, you love like I've loved you. I mean, in case you think, well, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Well, this is what it looks like. By this, by this love, by these horizontal connections, all men will know that you are my disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who lost his life. At the hands of the uh, Nazi regime. Wrote a little book called Life Together. And he understood the difficulties of being in a church in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And how difficult it would have been to be able to stand firm in, in that hurricane force wind that was coming across his own, from his own country. He says this, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again, especially when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He, he needs his brother to proclaim again and again the divine word of truth. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother, brothers is sure. I mean, don't you find that just true about yourself you you find yourself discouraged you find yourself in uncertain circumstances and and what's one of the most natural things to do i gotta, I, mean, I gotta call somebody i gotta get somebody next to me and somebody who not only loves me but they're gonna speak truth into my life they're gonna remind me of, of true things they're gonna tell me about the divine word of truth and and their certainty Today, maybe I'm just leaning on their faith. I'm I'm relying on the fuel of their faith to keep me going. And you've had that experience. You've had the experience of standing next to somebody who's just wilting. And they basically are just borrowing your faith to stand up. 
And then you've been on the other side, I'm certain, where you say, I just don't know anymore, but I know you and I know I and I know you love me. So I'm going to stand next to you. And would you carry me for a while? Could I sort of borrow your faith? And that, that's supposed to be happening across the body of Christ, because it, at any point, some of us are stronger than another. And, it, and, and next week, it'll be a different grouping. And you're going to need people. And I hope you have men or women or a small group that can be that kind of support structure in your life. Our need for constant encouragement reminded me of this story of a wife who'd been married for 15 years. And she finally broke down and she said to her husband, you know, you just don't tell me I love you enough. And he was kind of surprised. And he said, well... I told you I loved you on the day we got married. I just assumed I'd let you know if anything changed. <laughs> you know, we can't live that way. We can't we can't live with this one moment that we've experienced God or experienced the the the, the love of God from other people just one time. And then just say, well, if anything changes, I'll let you know. No, it's something that you have to have sort of flushed through your soul again and again. And you need that to happen. And it happens, obviously, with the word of God. But it also happens with the people of God coming alongside you. So here are the three helpful reminders that Peter gives us. Number one, that we're, we're supposed to keep on loving each other. And I love the word that he chose here earnestly. You see that? This the Greek word is a picture of an athlete stretching himself to the to the very end. It's like if you think of uh, somebody in the Olympics running a, a hundred meter dash, you know, they're at the very end. It's kind of that photo finish. And what are they all doing? They're just stretching themselves out. You know, they're trying to be the first one to get across the tape or somebody who's doing a long jump. You know, they're they're jumping and at the very end. What are they doing They're They're stretching as far as they can, trying to get just that last little inch that may mean the difference between winning and losing. And that's the picture that Peter has is when when you're loving one another, what I want you to think of is I want you to think of you're stretching. You're just stretching yourself out as far as you can possibly go to try to reach out and hold on to one another. And Peter informs us why this stretching is necessary. Why would the stretching inside of a church be necessary? Well, he tells you. Because love will be needed to cover over a multitude of sins. Isn't it interesting? Peter tells you by that statement who's in his congregation. Who's in Peter's congregation? People who have a multitude of sins. And he's saying, look, I'm not talking about the people out there. I'm just talking to the people in here. In here, there's a multitude of sin. And of course, we're working on it. And we know that Christ has paid for it. But even so, as long as we're inside this church, we're going to have to somehow be a family. And inside this family, there's still sin is spilling over. And we know that because in chapter four, verse three, look at that with me. He says, this is the kind of people that you came out of. The time has passed and it suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do the way you used to live sent by sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. That's the kind of people who made up Peter's congregation. 
They were moving away. You remember we talked about that? They were they were, they were they were creating some distance from their old life. But as they're creating distance from their old life at different points, that old life calls them back and they're still wrestling with it. And as they wrestle with it, you and I, we all get to wrestle with that together in some places. So Peter understands that this stretching is going to have to happen because we're all a bunch of sinners here and we we're going to have to stretch out to try to love each other. And I don't know if you've ever had this thought. Like, oh, it would be I would be so much more spiritual if I didn't have to deal with the sinners in my church. I mean, of course, I never had that thought, but I'm just saying somebody might have had that thought. Like if I could just if I could just, you know, get the four or five or ten or twenty, whatever, if I could just get those people together and I wouldn't have to deal with, well, you know, her and you know him. I mean, they they're really, you know, they're bringing me down. And if I just didn't have to deal with those people, then, gosh, I could just be so much more spiritual. And Peter is saying, no, actually, you grow in appreciation for the gospel by being surrounded by a group of sinners. Being surrounded by this kind of group actually helps you grow in your appreciation for the gospel. And you express, listen carefully, you express the content and the consequences of the gospel by stretching yourself to love sinners. You express the content and the consequences of the gospel by stretching yourselves to love sinners. When you are loving and you're stretching yourself out to love sinners, what do you look like? Christ. I mean, that's all Peter is saying. I don't want to say like that's all. It's simple. But he's just saying, I want you to love each other like Christ has loved you. And you're going to have to you're going to have to stretch yourself out in order to do that. And when you stretch yourself out to love each other, it's going to come with some costs. Your love is going to have to cover a multitude of sins. Well, who who does that remind us of? I mean, his love covers. Could we count? No, covers a multitude of your sin, of my sin. And so we're doing the same thing inside of our congregation. Wayne Grudem in his commentary says this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action liable to misunderstanding. I was listening to this leadership podcast, and the whole podcast was, um, I think the title of it was Gaps. What do you do with the gaps? And the way this guy was describing it, he says, you know, there's always gaps that happen in in any kind of grouping. Could be you and your spouse. It could be you and your team. It could be you and your church. Any kind of relational, uh, you know, um, relationships you have. There's always going to be gaps that created. And his question is, how do you fill in the gaps? For instance, Let's say this morning you, you came and you, you finally got your family to come or you finally got your neighbor to come and you're sort of excited like, gosh, this is the person I've been hoping to get to church. And you come in the front door and I'm coming up this hallway. And as soon as you see me, you're starting to say, hey, I want you to meet my friend or my family member. And I just hardly even acknowledge you. I have kind of like a, 
a cold look and I'm going rather fast and I just kind of nod my head and I move on. Well, see, a gap has been created. A gap between what you expected and what you received. And you have that, don't you have that thousands of times in relationships? Hey, I was expecting something. I received something else. Now I've got this gap. And the question is, what are you going to put in that gap between the, what you expected and what you received? Suspicion? Or trust? What's your tendency? You had an expectation of somebody in the church. You had an expectation of a spouse. You had an expectation at work. It doesn't get met. A gap gets created. And what's your tendency? Oh, well, I never. Is it suspicion? Is it frustration? Is it anger? Do you tend to fill in the gaps that happen in that way? Or do you fill it in with trust? Hey, I have no idea what Paul might have just left in his office. And I don't, I don't know, and so I don't want to just fill in my gap here with some information. I don't know if you've done this, but a lot of times, if some, not a lot of times, but occasionally, Nancy and I get in a little heated conversation. The gaps, the reason they come up is gaps get created. And what will happen is I'll come to her and I won't get what I expected. And so a gap gets created and then I fill in the gap. She must be blah, 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 blah. And what I'll do is I'll sit in my room. This is really a mature thing to do. And I'll have an argument with what I put in the gap. Does that make sense? Now, I'm arguing against what I put in her gap, right? This is what you did, blah, blah, blah. And I, I've got, now I'm marching back in with a surefire answer to this problem. And then she says, well, that's not what I was thinking. That can happen all the time in relationships. I fill in the gap with suspicion. I fill in the gap with mistrust. And what Peter is trying to say is, is when, when you have these relational issues that are going to happen in the church, there are going to be gaps between what you expected and what you received. And the question is, are you willing to fill in the gap with trust or are you filling the gap with suspicion? Peter isn't suggesting here that you never would confront somebody. He's not suggesting there's no sense of discipline. He's just saying that what I'm asking for is your first impulse towards another person in the church, that your first impulse would be compassion and not condemnation. Paul says it again in another passage you often hear in a wedding ceremony, but it's really connected to a church that's going through turmoil. And the Apostle Paul says this, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. So if I've wronged you or you've wronged me, the next time we enter into a conversation, a dialogue, I don't wave the banner of your wrongness over your head every time we're together. You don't do that for me. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
And so how do you fill in these gaps when they happen in a church? You're in the youth ministry. You're in the children's ministry. You're you're on the deacon board. You're you're somewhere and these gaps create places that you can put in trust or suspicion. What what would you want our first step to be towards you when you create the gap? What would you hope I would fill in the gap that you create? Peter knows this stretching. He has a firsthand experience in compassion rather than condemnation. Following Jesus' arrest, Peter is around a campfire. And he creates a huge gap between what was expected and what was received. Oh, Peter, I, you know, you were the one in the upper room who was going to say, you know, even if they all fall away, what am I going to do? I'm going to be there for you, Jesus, even if I have to die. And what does he do? Not just one time, but three times around this campfire. He creates this huge gap between what was expected and what was received. And yet Jesus extends this compassion to, Jesus, to Peter and not condemnation. So Peter understands that that when you fall way outside the bounds, that there's still Jesus is still stretching out, trying to and loving us. And Peter then has to exercise that as he becomes the leader of the church. Remember in Acts, he's told to go to the house of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, verse 27. Peter is to visit the home of a Roman centurion. Now, it's hard for us because you might be familiar with the story or even if you're unfamiliar with the story, you go, OK, he goes to see a Roman soldier. But that would be like the worst thing in the world for Peter to have to do. These people are foreign born people who have come in and taken over his home country. So imagine if that happened here in America. They've invaded and they're taking over your home. They're taking over your country and you now have to live according to their rules. And they have a whole different worldview and a whole system of living. And you, because you're in the minority, you have to live underneath that. And God says, Peter, you want it. You need to go to that guy's house. And you need to learn how to love that guy. And for a Jew, this was an unacceptable association. Perhaps the last time Peter saw a Roman centurion, they were. Nailing Jesus to a cross. And so Peter is told, and he says in Acts chapter 10, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Oh, my gosh, it's not just one Roman. We've got his whole family here. And he said to them, you you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. See, You see, Peter, he's saying, I have been stretched out for. And now I'm going to go into your world and I'm going to be willing to stretch out. And I know you have a totally different worldview. I know that you're considered my enemy, but I'm going to stretch out for you. I'm going to learn how to love you because I've seen Christ stretch out for me. And so. Peter is saying this is the kind of stretching that's going to have to happen in the the church, not just in the first century, but today. 
So we, one way we create this lateral stability is we, we love one another. Second, sort of maybe a subtitle of that, we show hospitality. See, Peter's expanding out the lines of love. In other words, it's not good enough just to come and kind of get a smile here. And, you know, you got your A game on from, you know, 1030 to 12 and yeah, everything's OK. And, yeah, I'm doing good and blah, blah, blah. And then you go out and that's it. No, he's saying, no, this the love I'm talking about has to extend out. It's going to extend out into your home. In, in the Middle East, in the first century, there wasn't, you know, spotted around a bunch of Holiday Inn Expresses. And so what would happen, especially evangelists like Peter, they would come into a town and they'd have to stay with somebody else. And Peter's understanding, hey, this is going to happen amongst Christians. And I want you to welcome these kinds of people into your home. And I want you to do it. Notice what he says. Without grumbling. I don't know if you've ever done this. You've volunteered your home for some reason, like, you know, three weeks from now. And then it's the, you know, the hour before you're vacuuming and cleaning. Why did I volunteer for this? You know, now I know that doesn't happen. I'm just saying a case. I read a story that that happened once, you know, and he's saying, no, no, God loves a cheerful giver. Hey, God has you in his home. Cheerfully. Hey, I'm glad you're here. Are you perfect? Oh, no. Got a lot of things to work. Yeah. But I'm glad you're here. That's what God says. And so he wants that radiated out when people come into your home and you show hospitality. I can say I've been the recipient of some unusual hospitality, some unusually great hospitality. And it's made a pretty big impact. When I was involved, um, well, when I graduated from college, I spent... um, a year or so trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. <clears throat> and then God's going, you know, it's not about you, Paul, it's about me. And finally, I realized that. And then I had a sense that he was calling me to be involved in ministry. Well, I didn't know anybody in ministry. Uh, I wasn't in a church or anything like that. So I thought, well, the only person I knew that was in ministry was my old young life leader. I haven't seen him for five years now. So I'll call him and say, hey, Can I come and talk to you about what I feel like maybe God's doing in my life? Oh, great. Man, I haven't seen you in five years. Please come and see me. Come visit me in Greensboro. And I was down in Myrtle Beach, so I drove up and I saw Phil Anderson for the first time after five years. I was like, Phil, hey, great to see you. And so glad. Oh, I'm so glad you came. Gosh, you've changed and blah, 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 just sort of all that stuff. And then I said, hey, this is what I think God's calling me to do. And he says, well, hey, great. Why don't you just move into my house? Who does who does stuff like that? I mean, he's got a wife and two young children. And he's just saying, Paul, I don't know if God's doing that or not. But best I can say is if you moved into my house, you could find out. And so I live there. I mean, here I come in as a 23 year old man. I'm just eating everything they have. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You know, I've been living by myself. Great. I'm sure Lucy came in many times going, I know I had food here somewhere. But it was an amazing hospitality. And really that began to to move me towards ministry in a way that if he had said, you know, let's set you up in an apartment, blah, blah, it would have been a much different thing. 
I remember another time, and, and it wasn't necessarily in the ministry context, but I was just blown away by the kind of hospitality. I kept thinking, would I do something like this? And I almost kept coming back to, no, I don't think I would. But a friend of mine in 1995, I had a sabbatical with Young Life, and so I had three months to be off and do some things. And what I wanted to do is travel, and so I had some connections in Greece. And so I went to Athens, and then I had a friend, the Pulises, who ha- who have some family on a little island in Greece called Ikaria. And Ikaria is pretty far off the mainland. And they said, hey, we have some relatives there and they'll just let you, you know, they'll help you out when you get there. They'll probably let you stay with them and all that kind of stuff. Like, Really? Yeah. You don't need to call them nothing. Just you take this letter. Well, it's written in Greek, right? Big, long handwritten letter. And I don't know if it says these guys are nefarious and please put concrete in their shoes and throw them in the Aegean Sea. I have no idea what it says. But I got off this boat with his friend, and so I got my, you know, backpack, he's got his, and I've got a letter in Greek. I, read, I can read no word on the letter or the outside. And this is what the guy said. He said, just hand it to anybody in town. Doesn't matter. So I'm like, okay, so first guy off. Hey, bud, can you do something with this letter? So he opens the letter, reads it. Yeah, well, hold on, let me call somebody. Stay right here. They'll be down here in a minute. They come winding down this little hill, pick me up and my friend. Yeah, you come back. You're going to stay with my mother, who's about 85. She has a back back room. You can stay there. And then you'll, you'll eat with us and we'll take care of you. And then here's the keys to my car and you can drive around the island for the week. I was like, who does this? Who does this? Would I do this? No. I mean, yes, I would. <laughs> Work of the Holy Spirit, I would. But but I, I hope you realize the power of your home. I mean, there is a, a power that comes in preaching and a power that comes from the pulpit, but it can't replicate everything that can be done in your home. Your home is a powerfully godly tool. And you have to expand out to welcome people. I mean, you have to draw your own boundaries, but it's, Peter's trying to say you've got to stretch out and you've got to welcome people into your house. It might be a meal. It might be an overnight. It might be a weekend. Who knows what it, it may be? I mean, we had our inquirers weekend this weekend and 35 people were in the class. And so some of them have been coming for a while. Some of them just start coming. Uh, but it's critical for us to be as members to stretch out and say, you know, I don't I don't think I know you could. Would you like to have lunch after church one Sunday? Can we get together? Can we do something? It's so helpful. And they communicated that so often how they felt that at Christ Community Church. I'll say more about this probably in a, in a letter and then I'll say something probably in a few weeks about it. Uh, but we have a girl named Sarah Littlefield who's coming on, and she's going to be a ministry apprentice. It's called the MAP program, ministry apprentice program. And what that does is a, typically a college graduate comes, like Jason Pogue, if you remember Jason, and they spend a year doing ministry with us, and our commitment to them is we find them a place to live. Somebody in our congregation says, hey, I've got a room, and I'll, I can house you for half a year or the whole year. So we're currently on the lookout for that. That's a big, I mean, I realize when I'm asking for that, that's a big ask. 
But I think that's the kind of thing Peter's saying is, hey, I want to I want to be a part of pouring into this young woman's life, encouraging her, stretching out to love so that she can then affect the college students who are coming to Christ Community Church. So there's all kinds of ways that can happen. We love each other. We do that one way by showing hospitality. And finally, we we stand firm by sharing our gifts. You see that in verse 10. Each has received a gift used to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Let me just point out the obvious quickly. Everyone has received a gift. The purpose of the gift is to to keep it in circulation, to, to serve one another. Remember the parable of the talents? You know, we can't bury our gifts. We've got to keep those gifts in circulation. And the gifts vary. There's not just one set of gifts and that's it. It's all kinds of variety because there's going to be all kinds of problems and people are going to need those. And there's two broad categories for them. Peter talks about speaking and serving. You're teaching, you're, you're talking to people, you're speaking into their lives, or you're serving. You're, as the, the word in the Greek is the word for deacon, you're a table waiter. You find out what the needs are in the congregation, you, you find out how you can help those. And let me just offer a couple of maybe helpful suggestions when you're thinking about your gifts. Number one, I would spend zero time evaluating your gift. Oh, I wish I had that gift. I'd be so much more effective if I had that. It's a gift. Just use it. That's what you don't need to evaluate it. You may think yours seems small and mine seems big, or I may think yours is big and mine. That, that's not the purpose is to evaluate. The purpose is to use. And so let's spend zero time evaluating. All the gifts come to the whole, come by the Holy Spirit. All the gifts give glory to God. So you're not really even in the equation. You're just like the hose. You're just the delivery system for something. And so just be a good hose. That's sorry, that's not my text. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's don't don't evaluate the hose. Just say I'm just the delivery system for this. Secondly, I wouldn't spend much time in assessment. Like a spiritual gift assessment. I don't, I'm not saying that can't be helpful but a lot of times it just turns into sort of spiritual navel gazing. What's, what's my spiritual gift? I don't know. I've got to figure that out. Or then you, you sort of pigeonhole yourself like I got this spiritual gift. Well, can you help out in that way? I'm not gifted in that way. And I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time. I would spend a whole lot of time praying. And then just be sensitive to the things of God rather than the things of men. That's what I do. And if you're spending a lot of time praying and you're sensitive, you can walk into situations that you might say, I don't even think I'm gifted here. But, you know, it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit can supply something right at a point that I don't have right now. And then you'll know to give God the glory for that kind of event. So that's maybe that's helpful. I wonder if you picked up on how simple this list is. I mean, you'd think with Peter starting out, the end is at hand. You would sort of think what would follow is shave your heads, live in a cave, you know, or just do something crazy. Sort of what you think of the ends at hand. Go live in a desert. Sell all you have. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Pray, love, serve. 
It's really not any more complicated than that. And I think the reason why he mentions those things are, aren't those the things that got you into the kingdom of God? I mean, long before you started praying to God, somebody was praying for you. I don't know who it was, but you didn't start the train. Somebody was praying for you. When you needed to know what the love of God felt like, somebody was loving you. Somebody was extending out to you. And then somebody used their gifts. Somebody preached. Somebody served. Somebody did something that you go, yeah, that's that's what I want. I see God when I see that and I move towards the cross. So right up to the very end, what do we want to be doing? We want to pray. We want to love. We want to serve. Let's pray together. Lord, this is like just one of those sermons that has so many practical points. And my guess is you just want to narrow that down to one or two for everybody in here. Some something that got said that says, gosh, I need to I need to work on this lateral stability, not not only for myself, but how am I hooking arms with people at Christ Community Church specifically and helping them? Where can I serve in, a, in, a, in an area? Where can I walk alongside somebody in the children's ministry or youth ministry? Or how can I walk alongside a, a college student? How can I invite some uh, inquire into my home? How can I be more a part of the loving community that will help me stand firm and help other people stand firm in the process? We live in a world of a thousand distractions. Everything in the world is on a smartphone. It seems. But that doesn't mean we have any kind of root system at all. And so I pray, pray for these people as they face hurricane-forced winds in their own lives, that they have a deep prayer life, and they have others that walk alongside them and hold them up when they can't hold themselves up. Or we didn't know we live in a community of a lot of people who have difficult situations, emotionally, physically, financially. I pray that you would use our talents, not only our money, but our time, our gifts, to be in circulation for this city. In Jesus' name, amen.